Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Hey, a quick reminder that uh, if you haven't subscribed to Bulwark Plus, we have a special offer for listeners of the podcast. If you go to thebulwark.com slash Charlie, you get 30 days free, a free trial, uh, membership in Bulwark Plus. And you'll, have the, you'll get the Morning Shots newsletter. You'll get uh, JBL's Triad. You'll have access to the Secret Podcast, the Next Level Podcast, and of course, Continue to have access to Mona Charon's outstanding Beg to Differ podcast. So consider doing that. We would appreciate it very much. Okay, so we have uh, we, we brought in the team. We've actually brought them be- from uh, behind the paywall. Uh, Jonathan Lass and Sarah Longwell joined me today. So, hey, welcome into the light, the light of day. It's like it's like coming out into the, the above ground world, isn't it? It's a little weird going from off Broadway to Broadway. Like all of a sudden, there's a big crowd and the stage, and they got fancy sets. It's not like our little crazy two person show. But you still might get an explicit rating, though. Actually, I was looking the other day at the number of explicit ratings we have on iTunes, and it's uh, wow, it's uh, it's it's pretty fucking awesome. I, I don't know how it happens, but <laughs> we live okay, in an explicit it- world. No, I, I realize that I'm going to drop a lot of F-bombs today because I had to start off thinking about um, Ron John, Ron Anon, my, my senator from Wisconsin. You heard what he had to say yesterday. Goes on a bunch of radio shows, and we have a little bit of little soundbite from the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. This didn't seem as an, like an armed insurrection to me. I mean, armed, when you think here of armed, don't you think of firearms? Mm-hmm. Here's, here's questions I would have liked to ask. How many firearms were confiscated? How many shots were fired? I'm only aware of one. Just kill me now. You know, I just, I, any, anybody want to weigh in on the Sarah? I mean, it's just. Yes. Do you sound I, like I, you have more you want to get out there? No, I, I, I do. <laughs> I'm trying to restrain myself um, because it's just so dumb. What's interesting is that, that most senators at least have the good grace, the ones who voted to acquit, at least had the good grace to say we need to move on or there was this constitutional technicality or yes he was totally awful even Mitch McConnell who knows how awful it is is writing pieces in the Wall Street Journal and there is Ron Johnson who is so deep into his fucking rabbit hole of crazy that he's going I didn't seem like that big a deal to me it didn't seem like an armed insurrection right you can't have it just because they were um, you know, beating cops with uh, with flags and were using shields as battering rams. And even though a cop died, yeah, it's just like people keep exaggerating it. It's like I don't know. There are only yeah, two pipe you, bombs. Yeah, that's right. You have to unless you 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 meet Ron Ron Johnson's specific definition of armed. Uh, then apparently everything was just fine. I mean, they you know because. They are armed with flags, with Trump flags. That's what they used to, you know, there's 140 police officers that I think have sustained all kinds of injuries, including having their eyes jabbed. There are people who lost their sight. I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand about it. I don't understand the inclination to try to pretend it was something that it wasn't. Like, why, why do, there is, there is only one decent response. There, I mean, there's one thing everybody should be united on, which is that what happened on January 6th was horrible. And and then the idea that you need to downplay it shows, I think, a deep pathology right up there with the need to say that it was Antifa that was actually responsible for it, but a deep pathology for not accepting responsibility or just not being willing to look the truth in the face. Yeah, we're one week away from him saying it didn't happen, right? I mean, it's just it just never happened. But this is this is what we have everywhere on the right. You know, so so with COVID, we had people saying simultaneously, there is nothing. It's no big deal. And this is a, a bioweapon unleashed on America by China. Right. And those two sides held every you know, they held hands without there being any cognitive dissidence. Didn't bother them at all. And here we have a whole bunch of people saying, this is horrible. Look at what Antifa did with this false flag operation. And they hold hands with people who, like Ron John, are like, I don't know. They only shot one person. They've only recovered, you know, six or 13 or 17 firearms. Uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't look like an armed. And so they, there is no, it's all postmodern because they understand that nobody expects the truth for them. All, all people are interested in is in what way they will position their falsehoods. Yeah. I, 
So, yeah, I keep thinking of the one cop who was saying that he was when he was lying on the ground, that people were saying, you know, take steal his gun, shoot him with his own gun, shoot him with his own gun. And, and he was saying, you know, that he realized that that if, in fact, he drew his weapon and fired it, um, that they would be overwhelmed because there were armed people in that crowd. But in any case, I guess, you know, part of it is I, I wrote about this in my newsletter today. Our, our, our good friends at the dispatch I hadn't seen this, but. They did a piece about Ron John, um, I think it was like a week ago or so, would he run for re-election, and by God, I hope he doesn't, but, um, and, and it talks about my, you know, our background, how far back we go. It's all all, all true. I mean, I'm going to wear that, you know, Scarlet J on my forehead forever, but the way they, they cast it, they talked about Johnson's instinctive grasp of Wisconsin voters predates his first Senate bid, and then it talks about how I read something that he, that he wrote and, you know, mentions that we've, we've parted ways, but... Um, but by reading that speech on his radio show in 2010, Sykes identified the political outsider as a man with keen insights into Wisconsin voters brewing resentment. Okay, so, I mean, I guess the framing is weird because if there's one thing that Johnson doesn't have, it's keen insight and an instinctive grasp of what Wisconsin voters care about these days. I mean, he is off. He's become this highlight wheel of crack pocket pottery. I mean, he's... He's got this penchant for distraction and for going into these Trumpian obsessions. Because trust me, you go into a coffee shop in Oshkosh, and I'm hoping that the average person isn't talking like this. Although, I think one thing we've seen is the the crazification of the of the Republican Party runs pretty damn deep these days, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, Charlie, I did uh, C-SPAN this morning. Yeah, uh, I want to hear about Washington that. Journal. And um, I got calls from the Republican line, and they were not happy with me. And I'm not sure Ron Johnson's not pretty close to where uh, a large base of support in the Republican Party is right now. I mean, the rage that I heard from the callers, one of the gentlemen uh, called to tell me that he wanted to call up to jam my words back down my throat. Really? This is is C-SPAN. Yeah, it was not. Uh, it was not a not a constructive exchange of ideas, actually, with several of the callers, and I do think that um, Ron Johnson, like a lot of sort of the MAGA right these days, they they know that their role is to really just be a vessel p- for people's rage to talk about. You, you, there is no introspection. There is no taking responsibility for one's own actions or the party's actions or condemning the things that Donald Trump do that are foul and fall outside the boundaries of decency. What they do is they they become enraged about the left. And, and I'll tell you, I heard from the callers today who told me the election was stolen, that I was, I was crazy, that, that there was so much fraud and so much rigging, and they cheat and the the left just cheats better than the right. And so I don't know. Is Ron Johnson, is he? I mean, certainly Trump lost Wisconsin. And so a majority of Wisconsin voters um, were ready to push past him. But is Ron Johnson off from where the majority of Republicans are right now? I just saw a poll that showed that if um, that, that broke down potential uh, 2024 Republican nominees. Guess who was very much at the top? Okay, so what was the guy, the gentleman who called, who wanted to just to, to you know shove the words? What was he? What was he referring to? What What did you say that he was so upset about? What, the, the the pure rage guy. Um. Well, I, I was the the topic was to talk about you know the future of the Republican Party, and I mean I was mostly saying that I think that the future of the Republican Party is going in the direction of Trump. Um. And uh, there was a, another woman who called up to tell me how sick. People like me and Susan Collins and Mitt Romney made her and how we should just get out of the party and we're Democrats light. Um, I do wonder sometimes whether folks like this understand that politics is a game of addition and not subtraction. And that if you start to to drop the 20 something percent of voters who, you know, thought that Donald Trump should be convicted for inciting the insurrection. And I was talking a lot about that, about the fact that Donald Trump uh, and some Republicans, uh, elected Republicans, were very much responsible for inciting the insurrection. But if you peel off that that 20 percent or so who thought he should be convicted, um, you're not left with a winning political coalition, uh, which they seem much less interested in than they do um, in just expressing their pure sort of rage uh, at us for not being sufficiently loyal to Donald Trump. And, and there was a woman, her name was Sarah also. She wanted to make it very clear that she was disgusted, that she was a Trump person. She's been a Republican all her life, but now she is part of Trump is her person and she doesn't care what the Republican Party does. 
Sarah, did you invite any of these people to drive into a tree? I did. Uh, I did say I, I, I refused to get drawn in uh, too much. But the woman who called up to tell me that the election had been stolen and that the Democrats cheated and I gave a pretty um, I, I hope it was a clear eyed response. I mean, I responded very directly to the fact that this say? was not Was stolen. it a frank exchange of, a view, of it views? Was, it, I gave her a frank exchange of views that, that really was about, you know, Bill Barr. Donald Trump's attorney general said that there was not widespread voter fraud, that, uh, you know, the the security chief said it was the most free and fair election. These are Trump's people that Trump, I just said to them, Trump is filling your head with lies. He's filling your head with poison. Uh, none of this stuff is true. Facts are for cucks, though. Yeah. That's the details, you know, it, 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 it does. It doesn't matter. By the way, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine what the what the listening viewing habits must be for um, a Trumpist like that watching C-SPAN. Well, I mean, so it's like they watch C-SPAN in the morning and then they wait for Limbaugh to come on in the afternoon and then they spend the the mid midday looking at Parler and Facebook and, and then they. They sort of have dinner with their with their extended family, and then they wait for Tucker Carlson to come on. What I mean? No, oh, these people I, don't have families anymore. You know, Charlie. Can I can I say one one thing about that that piece, which I think was just wrong as an analytical matter, because as you say, it isn't that Ron Johnson has a, a keen grasp of what Wisconsin voters want. He has a keen grasp of what Wisconsin Republicans want. And those are two, just again, it's an objective matter. Those are two different things. And I, I think it is very fair to say that if you know Ron John were to announce tomorrow that he was going to retire, it's more likely that Sean Duffy gets that seat than it is Mike Gallagher. Right? I'm afraid Which, that, that's, that's, that's true. Right although, although Gallagher will be formidable, um, and, and that's, of course, going to be a painful, a painful primary. I guess the thing is that is that Ron Johnson lives in his head right now as opposed to the, the radar for what's going on because um, there are other things happening in the world. Hey, so speaking of flying monkeys, flying monkey update, well, one of my favorite things is the, the Adam Kinziger family letter. Which, oh which I, I, I would actually like to devote an entire podcast to an impressionistic reading of the letter. You guys all read it, the handwritten letter from I'm so from into his it ten, from his ten cousins and everything. Eleven members of his family sent him this handwritten two-page letter saying that he's part of the devil's army for breaking with the president. Oh my, what a disappointment you are to us and to God. Which is interesting. I mean, the, the the ease with which people explain how God is really disappointed with you because you don't support Donald Trump. That God is really disappointed. You have embarrassed the Kinzinger family name. And this, by the way, is beyond parody. This is not a parody sentence. You should be very proud that you have lost the respect of Lou Dobbs, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. I couldn't get past Lou Dobbs, I'm sorry. Laura Ingram, <laughs> Greg Kelly, etc. And most importantly in our book, Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh and us. <laughs> I'm sure Adam is just like crushed, like, oh my God. I mean, that someone unironically writes, Lou Dobbs no longer respects you. And this is gonna you are gonna be ashamed. You're gonna be shunned because of this. Not I, a cult. I, no, it's not a cult. Don't <laughs> worry, guys. This is a totally normal political movement. Okay, so I want to I want to uh, ask you about JVL about your newsletter yesterday. You had that modest suggestion that every Republican needs to be asked two questions. Very simple: Who won the 2020 election, and was this legitimate result of a free and fair election? Two well, one word answer: Biden and yes. But it does raise the question, doesn't it? I asked this in my newsletter today. My newsletter. Republicans are still refusing to answer those questions. I mean, that seems like the easiest questions in the world, but there are an awful lot of Republicans that just will contort themselves not to answer those two simple questions. I think the majority of the party, honestly. Yeah. I was I was triggered by reading the Marco Rubio's yeah. statement on impeachment in which he has this weird sentence construction towards the end where he says, there is a new president in the White House. <laughs> oh, wow. How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's a new it, president in the White House. You won't it's, say it's how like we got mistakes there. Were made, right? It's like mistakes were made, you know. Uh, and I think this is, you know, I've been writing this since, you know, September and October. This is the future of the party. One of the litmus tests is you can't say that Trump lost, right? And so you have to elide it or, you know, 
And this is why I think it is important that reporters ask these people over and over again, because uh, we need to remind voters that these people live in a fantasy world. And so the next time that Republican Senator XYZ tells you uh, that we should not pass this COVID relief bill because it's bad for the deficit or something, well, it would be helpful information to know that this person also does not believe that Joe Biden won the election. So maybe we shouldn't take their, their advice on fiscal matters all that seriously. You know, like it, just, it seems like important information to have. You would think so. It was that that Eric Metaxas interview in Atlantic, where which was really kind of extraordinary. Just let him talk, and he kind of con- condemns himself. But uh, his formula is basically: yes, Joe Biden is the president, but he was not the legitimately elected president. So right. this is the formula in their minds. So they, they they won't. The politicians won't answer the question because it, this is a litmus test, as you you know predicted it would be a litmus test for pr- Trumpian loyalty, but also. I think it's important to understand there's this big push coming now all over the country. There's more than 100 bills to restrict voting as 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 a response to the non-existent fraud and the irregularities in the election. So you have one state after another where Republicans have decided that at the top of their agenda, central to their agenda, is making it harder to vote. And this has become, I mean, this has become... What used to be kind of a side thing, yeah, we're for photo IDs. It's now Sarah's actually covering her face with her hands. The 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 overt anti-democratic, you know, thread on the right is now becoming overt, isn't it? I mean, it's just they're they're not even being subtle about it. Yeah, but here's what's so frustrating about this particular gambit, which is that it kind of marries a traditional, respectable. Republican position, whether you agree with it or not, like it would be the position of a heritage foundation or sort of institutional conservatives that you need voter ID. You know, it's like a perfectly mainstream Republican issue and now marries it with the fantasy that widespread voter fraud cost Donald Trump the election. And so it does give these Republicans this place to retreat into to kind of split the baby, uh, which is exactly what you don't want them to have, because what you want is what JVL laid out, which is you have to answer this question clearly about whether or not the election was free and fair, whether or not Joe Biden is the legitimate winner. And the reason that that's so important is because 50 million people believe this election was stolen. That is too many people who believe to believe our elections are fraudulent. It's an existential threat to our democracy. And so you need to be you need to be forcing these guys to confront that reality. And this this sort of voter fraud issue and election security now gives them that convenient dodge so that they don't have to answer it. Well, yeah, they don't want to answer, but I mean, they're going to do something about it. I mean, one of the reasons they won't, won't acknowledge it is because this is the this is their legislative agenda. And you know, it was it was, it was David Frum a few years ago said that that he thought that if conservatives had to choose between democracy and power, they would choose power. And I, I think David was 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 prophetic right now. Um, and I think we we've seen that you know since since November we saw that on January sixth when it came right down to it, they actually didn't care whether they won the election. They just want to hold on to power. And I think isn't part of this JVL that. That they kind of know that they're a minority and going to continue to be a minority, but 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 if you game the system through a variety of ways, you can you can still win stuff, you can still run stuff without having a majority on your side. I mean that that sort of it's you could say it's anti-majoritarian, but I think it's showing itself as anti-democratic as well. Yeah, I, I think that the the mask has really come off of the Republican Party and where they. They no longer even pretend to want to form a national majority. Yeah. Uh, because they realize they can't, you know, as our politics is currently configured. And so they are retreating further and further into, instead of trying to persuade voters, they are no longer interested in voter persuasion. They are interested in gaming the system and trying to find ways to win elections with 42 and 44% of the vote. And I, I don't honestly know if there's a way to stop them i mean you could stop them in blue states you can hopefully have president biden uh, undertake a, a pretty rigorous you know democracy reform package at the federal level and then when republicans object to it you can kill the filibuster on those grounds which i think the polling is very good on uh 
But after after that, this is the problem, right? So you have a state like North Carolina, which is uh, incredibly gerrymandered, right? Same thing in Michigan, right, where you have a Democratic governor, but the the state legislature is is majority Republican because of simply how the districts are drawn. And so over and over across the country, you have this, and it's this long lag time because these redistrictings are done every 10 years. And so this is a generational fight. And I, I think it is, I don't want to overstate things, but the fight to defeat the authoritarian wing of the Republican Party is going to take 20 years of our lives. I Sorry, that, there no, goes there no, goes your no. next twenty years. Guys. No, I, yeah, because I I was kind of you know counting it down to when it would be over and it would be done. And I kept telling people, you know, we've been doing this longer than the duration of World War II, and um, that that's that's enough. But you're right, it is going to be twenty years. So, uh, sir, I want to get your take though on uh, what Mitch McConnell is still up to. He's got a piece in the Wall Street Journal this morning where once again he's just he's just reaming. Um, uh, Donald Trump saying, you know, how he's morally responsible for all of this. It is interesting. I, I think I said this to Jonathan Allen. It, it's kind of the classic example of, you know, when you shoot at the king, you, you make sure you, you shoot the king. Right? Um, they had their shot at, at, at Donald Trump. He decided that they weren't going to take it. But now he's still going to war. He said there's no this is what he writes. There's no question that Trump bears moral responsibility. His supporters stormed the Capitol because of the unhinged falsehoods he shouted into the world's largest megaphone. His behavior during and after the chaos was also unconscionable, from attacking Vice President Mike Pence during the riot to praising the criminals after it ended. And he didn't do anything. So what is what is Mitch McConnell's play? How does he think this is going to end? I find, I said this to JVL, we were talking about this in the Secret Podcast, I find his particular posture right now to be totally mystifying because it is and the thing is is like i am glad that he is just calling the truth as he sees it and i'm glad that he does in fact see the truth uh in the sort of sky is blue kind of way uh but it is i can't tell what his end game is exactly i right. mean because it's not it's i mean he, he also goes on to say like who he's been saying about in terms of what candidates he's going to endorse he says he doesn't care as long as they win and and that is kind of that, it's it's well it's difficult to square that circle because here he is pounding the desk about sort of the immoral uh rot that Donald Trump uh has brought to the party while at the same time basically saying but you know if the MAGA candidates can win I'm going to be happy to back them. And so it just doesn't it just doesn't even it doesn't square for me like strategically. He's he's got this this visceral emotional reaction but then he, uh, in this in the next breath he basically says you have to understand that I'm not about principles. I'm not about ideas. I'm just about I'm just about power, right? I mean, isn't that yeah. what he what he's saying? I mean, he was he's yeah. very angry about what happened, but he's basically saying whatever it takes to win. So if that means backing Laura and Ivanka Trump for the United States Senate uh, two years from now, yeah, if I think that's going to keep me in power, uh, I'm 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 there for it, despite everything I just said. I mean, right? I do think I do think that there's Mitch McConnell's an interesting to me because I do think that there's this weird split that is going on but you know jvl and i talk about this you know in some ways these guys are the the dinosaurs that have fashioned their own meteor because they can now <laughs> not exist within the party that they've allowed to be created around donald trump they ignored donald trump they they said they didn't see the tweets they never pushed back whatever and now they find themselves with this sort of untenable position of not being able to control or, or have any you know, the, the voters are going to tell them what's what. And the voters may very well say Laura Trump is what they want to do. I mean, even Marco Rubio, like if Ivanka Trump is running in Florida, she's primarying Marco Rubio. And that would be, I, I mean, there's just a part of me that would enjoy seeing Marco that happen to Marco Rubio uh, because that he has created the conditions for his own demise in that regard. Well, Javier, you've been talking though about uh, you know the the difference between the the establishment elites and the and 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 the base and the the future of the Republican Party is not going to be shaped by what Mitch McConnell says, is it? I mean, no, no. And uh, you know, as interesting as anything else, actually, is the Wall Street Journal going out to get that that piece, the which is you know a pure and editorializing essay, yeah. right? This is a pure Rupert Murdoch trying to go in a different way. But again, only halfway, right? So Fox is still doing what Fox does, but the journal has been the you know the respectable turning away from Trump, and that's again, I, I think this looks like 
from Rupert's perspective, somebody trying to hedge their bets because he's not sure which way it's going to go. Uh, and for McConnell, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think that it's all Machiavelli, that he thinks that by doing this, he can keep some marginal Republicans, you know, the, the 10% of Republicans who are disgusted by Trump, you know, and it is only like 10%. He thinks that by doing this, he can keep them on side. Yeah, you know, because he knows that they can't lose them and win Senate seats in in states that are close to toss up. So I, again, I don't I don't give McConnell any credit for there being any genuine, you know, philosophical commitments be, behind anything he says. Well, there's something going on there. I mean, it is rather remarkable, and and I, and I do and I do think I was you know saw somebody saying no one's going to remember what he says; they're only going to remember the vote. I I think that's wrong. I think I think people will remember the juxtaposition of the not guilty vote, and then they but of course he's absolutely guilty. So the one guy who is not playing an angle, and I'm I I can be as cynical as anyone looking at everybody, you know, thinking, well, how does this advance their career? What is their what is their play? Um, Bill Cassidy seems to be just a genuine article i mean i the guy's from louisiana which is which is hardcore trump country and he he came out he voted to convict he has a op-ed piece out in local newspaper he's not backing off i mean sarah he's one of those you know talk about a rare thing talk about a unicorn in american politics that that just seems like pure guts unless there's something i'm completely missing here you know, when JVL and I were uh, talking about who was going to, like, how, what was the over-under on who was going to vote yeah. for impeachment, I took the over on five. I thought there would be more than five. And one of the things that I was arguing is, that I was like, there's going to be people that aren't on our radar. There's going to be people that we're not thinking of um, that, you know, everybody kind of thinks, well, maybe Rob Portman, because he's always on everybody's moderate list, because once he, def you know, he defended his son uh, and, and came out for gay marriage. Um, but... But I was like, there will be people that we don't anticipate. And it was really Bill Cassidy was the person. And it occurs to me that we've been listening to the wrong senator from Louisiana for the last four years. Because Kennedy is always out there with this fake, folksy, you know, thing that he does with his little sayings, um, acting acting sort of the the fake rube. Um, and here's Bill Cassidy. who I've, I, I, like, I was like, have I ever even heard this guy talk before? In a totally unapologetic, incredibly clear-eyed way, just says, they didn't prove their case. Guy was guilty, so I voted for it. That's my job. And it's like, it almost knocks you over these days when somebody just says the true thing unapologetically. But man, do I love it. Yeah, he says, I voted, the last line of his op-ed, I voted to convict former President Trump because he is guilty. That's what the facts demand. Okay, whoa. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> very, very straightforward. And you know what's going to happen to you in Louisiana. I mean, this is not, he's not, you know, he's not a senator from Vermont. I mean, that's, this is going to be tough for him. It's a profile in courage and he will pay the price because he stuck his head up on this. But it does, I think, remind us that if, if, if Senate Republicans and House Republicans for that matter had all held hands and just done the right thing together. Right then you wouldn't wind up having to, right? I mean, because the, the truth is you can't, if you're MAGA world, you can't primary primary everybody. Like they're just, you, the resources aren't there. The candidate quality isn't there. You know, the the voters are not all in one place. You know, they're not distributed evenly across the, across the country. So you could have gotten a few scalps, but you wouldn't have gotten all of them. And the Republicans could have excised Trump because by making Trump so that he can no longer run for office, you you are putting the, the stake through the heart of, of the big guy. Uh, so I uh, to the extent that these guys all thought that they could be cute and just kick the can down the road and somebody else would clean up their mess for them. Uh, and I got to say, a guy like Bill Cassidy, uh, I take my hat off to yeah, him. Same thing Mitt Romney, same thing Ben Sass. All those guys. So, uh, Sarah, let's talk about Nikki Haley for a minute. Um, I, 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 I would have thought by now that she would have backed off from her latest, the latest iteration of her um, criticism of Trump, but she hasn't. She hasn't done it. But I, I guess the reason I really wanted to bring it up was I saw I saw your tweet the other day um, about the moment at which when she was anti-Trump and they had that rally. She was supporting Marco Rubio and she was there with Tim Scott. You had this. You know, you, you had the female governor of South Carolina, the African-American senator from South Carolina, 
the Cuban candidate from Florida, and it was all the colors of Benetton, etc. And they were strongly opposing everything that Trump stood for. It was kind of the last gasp of what we thought the Republican Party might become. Yeah, I mean, that was the future that I was here for when it came to the Republican Party. I uh, was a more or less a Rubio person, would have been fine with, with Jab or a couple other people back then. Um, but I was definitely thought Rubio was the future. And I loved Nikki Haley. And I was I just and I remember at the time I was so freaked out by Donald Trump and so afraid. And to watch them take this what turned out was to, to be a last stand that didn't go anywhere. But at the time, it was it was where all my hope was um, that this was going to be what the future of the party was going to look like. It was going to be a big tent uh, that was going to, you know, not sort of be held capture to a lot of the, the social and cultural issues that have been dominating the party for a couple decades. Like it was the future I wanted that I was trying to work within the party to be a part of. Uh, but of course, in retrospect, you just see that that was sort of the last gasp, the last stand for a Republican Party that was never going to materialize. There was a fork in the road in that moment, and the country went Trump. The Republican Party went Trump. And it's only gotten deeper down that road to the point now where Nikki Haley is sort of a fascinating character because she has both tried to maintain some of that old, hey, I'm the future of the party, and I'm a different kind of future for the party, as well as having gone more or less full Trump uh, and, and I wonder, I mean, I still think that Nikki Haley is the most likely 2024 nominee. JBL hotly really? disputes this, oh, boy. <laughs> um, but I, I, I still think, I still think she's got a future in the party. Um, but I'm not as certain of that as I once was. And also I'm not, I'm not optim I'm not excited about her future anymore because she has, the thing is, it's like, we've seen who all these people are now, whether, whether they were always like this and it revealed something about them or whether they changed for political expediency in either way, like they have been weighed and measured and found wanting. And I will never now look at Nikki Haley and think, boy, what a bright future you represent. Instead, I will just always remember uh, how she lacked the character to stand up during these years. Well, see, that, that's what I would think that most Republican voters are going to think that they, she managed to antagonize everybody by flipping back and forth. So she's a woman without a country. So, uh, Jonathan, you're 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 not bullish on uh, on Nikki Haley 2024. No, I think there's 15 and maybe even in a two party race, 20 percent of the party, which uh, two candidate race, 20 percent of the party, which would be for what she is selling. Uh, but ultimately, what is she? Selling? This is the thing. What she's selling is Trump, but no Trump. Right. You know, I'll give you good conservative Chamber of Commerce stuff. Uh, but I also will wink at populism, but I won't do the mean tweets. And this is the thing we have found over and over and over again with Republican voters is that you can't be 98% Trumpy enough for them. You have to be all the way on the bus or all the way off the bus. Otherwise, the voters don't care. And I think that, you know, unless magically there isn't a Trump or a further right demagogue in the in the primary campaign, then I think it's going to be very hard for her to find traction. I, I still believe that there is every reason in the world, and Trump has all the incentives in the world, to run again. And the earlier he announces that, uh, the more it will freeze the field. I mean, can you imagine what sort of, if you are a middle-aged woman like Nikki Haley, and Trump announces that he's going to run, do you even dare throwing your hat, throw your hat into the ring? Right. Because to, or, she or can do you wait just four sit, more years, right? You can wait four more years or you could wait and see if maybe he implodes. Right. Like maybe he actually well, maybe, and maybe he are, has a heart attack. Well, maybe they're, he they're gets legal, arrested. Right. There are legal problems. Right. There's financial problems. There's 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 still a load of stuff headed his way. So. Right. You, you hope. And but, you know, you look at I. this is an interesting question about North Carolina. So let's let's pretend Lara Trump declares for for Burr's seat in North Carolina. Do you think any other Republican would dare announce that he was going or she was going to run against her? No, I don't. No, because I think, I think once because you do that, that dynamic, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you announce you are running against a Trump, then you have gone against the family. Yeah, and, then, and, and that you're going to face the full fury of that. Yeah, and that that will be the premier um, race for them. 
But I also think that it makes it much more likely that the Democrats are going to flip that seat in North Carolina. I mean, it's they, well, see, this pattern, I, I think that you, you've seen in Georgia, in Arizona and in Virginia, it's been playing out. These are solid Republican states or at least purple that as the parties have become more extreme and more Trumpy, um, they've been losing general elections. And I, North Carolina has been on the bubble for some time and it could go either way. And I do think that, you know, hyper-Trumpy, unless you think that Laura Trump has some sort of superpower that she's going to be able to, I don't know, overcome that. I don't know. I there You know, have you seen, I only just started looking into this yesterday, the North Carolina lieutenant governor. And it was very exciting. Uh, an African-American gentleman who's a Republican. And uh, he turns out to be insane. No. Like a he's a, a full truther on all this stuff. And, you know, I... Just look at North Carolina. I think the Trumpers are going to be so activated. And having an actual Trump on the ballot will, again, it will give you the same kind of turnout that you you get during now the presidential year elections because they are, you know, the Republican Party is now dependent upon low propensity voters. And I uh, won't say no, I, I won't I think call those would, people what I call them on our on our show. Yeah. I appreciate where, that. Can I just I'm going uh, to beg beg to differ with JVL here. And this is one of our most fundamental disagreements. Which is, I don't think anybody else can be Trump. I just think you overestimate the extent to which a Lara Trump, where I don't even know if you pronounce her name Lara or Lara or what, uh, but I suspect that there's going to be a whole bunch of imitators out there, a whole bunch of people who are trying to either, you know, be, be try, that are going to try to be like Trump. And none of them are going to be able to do it. I don't care if it's Don Jr. I don't care if it's one of the... Kids in law, they're just not. Kelly Loeffler almost pulled it off. I mean, Kelly Loeffler came within what thirty thousand votes of pulling it off, in, in a moment when Trump was actively trying to sink Republican prospects in in Georgia. Georgia. I think this is more durable than you than you think. Okay, so here's a possible here, here's here's a thought that everybody else is going to try to be a Trump imitator by being crazier and crazier and crazier, right? Like Kelly Loeffler, you know, did that. You try to be more MAGA, or you try to pretend to be some sort of nationalist, populist, whatever, um, like Josh Hawley. What if, and I know nothing about Laura Trump, what if Trump's run and they move to the more reasonable side so that you suddenly have people with the Trump brand but without all of the baggage of crazy? That would be you know, kind of an interesting... Who's the guy who was the, 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 the crazy mayor of Toronto? Remember him, that guy? Yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob. Uh, yeah. The one with all the drugs. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, well, you know, his brother is the is the is the premier of the state, and apparently is you know pretty popular. You know, well, this so. is Marine Le Pen, right? Yeah, Marine Le Pen, uh, right? Clean, the, you clean the it house up. broken, the cleaned up version, and that is so. That is the you have I would say if you wind yeah. if you wind back four years, you go to 2016, and Donald Trump has just been elected, and there was all of this. You know, total bullshit about how, well, now that he can be president, he won't have to do the tweets and he can really surprise people by focusing on infrastructure and cutting deals and bum, bum, bum. And in that alternate reality, Ivanka was the heir because she was Trump without the tweets, right? She could come in and take over the mantle. But I, th I think what we have seen is that what Republican voters want is the tweets, they don't want the cleaned up version of it. And that's why I have maintained to many people's uh, chagrin that Don Jr. is Don Jr. is the, the logical heir to Trumpism, because while Ivanka Trump went in and worked in air quotes in the government, which she thought was the path to becoming her father's heir, Don Jr. mastered Fox and that that is a much, much closer approximation to what one needs to do in order to win the support of Republican voters. And that all this entire dynamic is self-reinforcing because as, as the more moderate marginal Republicans are driven away from the party, the party becomes Trumpier, right? And, and the more Trumpy the party becomes, the more outlandish their candidates become. And, and it just reinforces you're in a, a a uh, vicious circle. Yeah, it, it's a death spell. Sarah, do you, are you by the, the Don Jr. is our future? Yeah, but I do think, I mean, I do think that it presents, Republicans end up in kind of a, between a rock and a hard place here, because not only do you accelerate, was already an organic trend of college-educated Republican voters kind of drifting away from the party as it becomes Trumpier, I just believe that without Trump on the ballot, these low-propensity voters who turn out 
for Trump and Trump only. This is this is what Republicans ran into in 2018 without Trump on the ballot in Georgia, in Georgia, just now. and in Georgia, right? Without Trump actually on the ballot, they cannot get the turnout numbers. This is why they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. They don't know which way to turn right now, because without Trump out there turning out those voters, they don't know how to compete uh with democrats in terms of turnout and so they need him at the same time they rep they realize that marjorie taylor green to the extent that she becomes the face of the party the college educated suburban voters don't want to be in a coalition with marjorie taylor green and that's why they're in disarray right now and it's why you see somebody like kevin mccarthy on a uh you know not being willing to cast out marjorie taylor green or liz cheney because he's trying to hold this sort of untenable coalition together but this is why the lara trump thing is so important because this this will be a test case for can you turn out the people with the trump name right i mean it is one it's one thing to have a trump imitator it's another thing to have the trump dynasty and if she's successful katie bar the door yeah okay so you, you, i'm looking at a tweet from ron brownstein from yesterday about the new quinnipiac poll um and it, it talks about he talks about the the squeeze on the gop the vast majority of republican voters 75% do still want Trump to have a big future role, okay? But 21% don't want that. 21%. So 24 to 28% of Republicans blame him for the riot. And Brownstein's point is, if even a minority of those uneasy Republicans drift away from a Trump-led GOP, it is catastrophic. I mean, so, and this is, this is your area, Sarah, because you've been talking with Republican voters against Trump. That's a big number. If it is in the area of 20 percent of Republicans, there's no way that Republicans can afford to lose that number. This is my argument to JBL all the time, is that the, the those numbers and, and JBL just is unwilling to ever allow like a, a crack of sunlight to break through and for there to be anything, you know, it burns. remotely it burns. approximating optimism. But I will tell you one of the things that makes me not optimistic exactly, but you you cannot you cannot discount is that there is still a section of the party uh, that is sane. And it's not a huge section. It's not the majority section. But if you've got 20 to 25 percent of Republican voters who think Donald Trump should be convicted, they do not think he should lead the party and he continues to do it, they will start to peel off. If even a section of those, as Brownstein says, pull, pulls off, that is how you end up with a Republican party that is a rump regional party that cannot win uh, national governing coalitions. And that's important because denying and depriving the Republican Party of political power is what forces them ultimately to come to a better place. Now, I think that's a multi-cycle thing that has to happen, but you want to see that there's still a section of the party. Uh, JVL's right that there's a bigger section that wants the pure uncut MAGA, but it's not everybody. And they're not all like, not all Republicans are like the state parties. And so to the extent that you can feed the sane part um, and help build that muscle up, that is an important part of, 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 of creating the broader pro-democracy coalition. So can I uh, switch to a in totally inside baseball thing? Totally inside bowl of baseball thing? Hit me. Okay. So I'm looking at Sarah's picture here. What we're saying over there on your on your on your shelf, Sarah. What you got there? You went yep. out and got a box. You got a box for it, didn't you? It's behind you. It's up behind you. Yeah, the flag. Oh, the flag. The, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did too. Did you get a box? Jonathan, have you gotten a box yet for it? Sure did. Okay, so can I tell the story? Is it all right? Uh, yeah, just blind the names, please. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Don't have use any. the names. Okay. No. No names. Okay. So, you know this better because you corresponded with him more directly. This is somebody that served in Afghanistan, who was a regular listener to the Bulwark, reader of the Bulwark, and it, it got him through a lot of stuff. Got him through the election, and um, he wrote a letter to us saying that that he wanted to do something. So. He sent flags that flew over, that flew above where he was serving, got the flags with the certificate of the flags, and he sent it to all of us, to each member of, of the set. I got to say, Jonathan, I have never gotten anything remotely as cool as that from a reader or a listener. You have the certificate there, uh, Sarah? I do. I just grabbed it. I'll read it. Yeah, uh, Sarah, don't maybe don't oh, don't, don't read, read the whole thing. Yeah, don't read the details. Again, yeah, we yeah. should we should blind. Right. Right. We should blind this as much as possible. Uh, I, I have. I'm sure you had this too when you did the radio show, Charlie. Uh, I have listeners of my various shows and readers send me all sorts of stuff 
uh, over the years. And I'm every single time, whether it is a pair of socks or a bottle of, uh, you know, a bottle of powdered cheese or something, because I have various obsessions, I'm always like incredibly touched by it. Like I really, you know, in a very genuine way that somebody who, who barely knows me cares enough to, you know, spend even like five bucks to, to send something to me. Uh, this was the type of thing that I will keep for forever and give to my kids when I'm gone. I mean, it is really just the most thoughtful uh, expression of gratitude. And I and he went through a lot I couldn't trouble. have been more humbled by it. No, I felt the same way as to realize that somebody like this who was serving his country in very difficult circumstances would have gone to all of this trouble to, to send us these flags. And I, and they're, they're they're folded in a triangle, and uh, I just actually got the I got the box uh, for it uh, just on just on Friday. You know, I'll yeah, just it's really great. I'll just say that, but it, it says in honor of your defense of American principles, and there is something. I'm glad actually I didn't read the whole thing because every time I do, I um I can't quite get through it. Uh, but there is something about somebody who's like genuinely a hero, somebody who's genuinely done heroic things and genuinely done brave things, um, saying that you've done any like small thing uh because it makes you it, it makes you feel like both like completely unworthy um but it's also incredibly nice and the fact that uh this person has this person listens to the all the podcasts and the secret pod and writes writes us emails and we just um couldn't be more proud that he enjoys what we're doing yeah and we do not take it for granted so actually you mentioned Jonathan that we often get other things you know over, I mean, over the year not often actually not often like hate mail uh, yeah, well, we get a lot of hate mail, but but I, I have a thing in my office which I can't show you because I'm not on camera here for you guys. But uh, it's a it's a it's a walking stick that somebody sent me because I made a terrible mistake once on the radio, and and I described it as afterwards when I did my apology, I said I was hit by the stupid stick, and uh, he sent me this <laughs> this beautifully crafted walking stick which has the word stupid stick on it. <laughs> Um, which, which, which I, which I have, I really cherish it. It's really, it's, it's, it's quite lovely. It's quite thoughtful that somebody would have thought to do that. And I was very, very moved by it, even though it was, you know, it reminds me every time of, you know, the time I was hit by the stupid stick, you know, but yeah. it happens to all of us, you know? Yeah. You know, the best part of this job is loving what we do, but the second best job part of it is getting to form connections with the people who listen to this stuff we do and, and write into us. I mean, I, I probably spend an hour and a half or two hours every day just doing email and correspondence with various readers and listeners. And some of them have turned into like incredibly close friends. And I, I just, it's so gratifying. And again, not, a, not people who all agree with us politically either. You know, I, I have a couple of very Trumpy friends who I have met through the course of, of doing this, this project that we've done together. And uh, it's great. Getting to connect with people is the best part of, of the bulwark. It is. And, and, you know, part of it is that I, I think that um, the podcast ha has some of the same effect of, of, that I learned that radio has, which is that you establish a long-term, rather intimate relationship with people because you're kind of in, in, your, in their head on a regular basis. And there's a connection there that you have that is very different than print alone. Um, or television. Television is there. There's something about radio and podcasts that is it's in your head in a, in a different way. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's a yeah. There's a and also people, people think they know places, you. I mean, right? Yeah, because you know, you're, you know, you're taking a walk and listening to them, or you're right. driving and listening. You just sort of take that voice with you in a way that a, a video is just sort of there in right. a place. Yeah, yeah. right. It, no, it, totally it, true. It, it's something that you're looking at as opposed yeah. as opposed to this because um, in in a sense. We are in their heads. I mean, and, yeah. and they're in our heads because you do get to know. I mean, you know, I used to do a three and a half hour a day radio show. Um, we do basically an hour a day. And guess what? After a while, you listen to somebody talking and you, 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 get, you do get to know who they are for, for better or for worse. Yeah, so. and I bet you guys feel the same way as listeners to yeah. other to other people. Yeah, when I'm, you know, I, I have a show that I, you know, listen to every week that I love, and God, the the NPR Car Talk guys, remember them? Oh, the, my the wife listens brothers. to that all the time. Right. So I, you know, I, I would listen. I listened to them for a decade. At the end of which, I felt like I could just walk into their house on Thanksgiving and sit down with them because I knew everything about their lives and really wanted to be their buddy and. 
anyway, so I, I totally understand this because I've, I've seen it in both directions. Okay, so Sarah, I, I do have queued up uh, the French Village. I am taking this very seriously, your recommendation. But I got to tell you guys, um, put it, put on your queue the, the Showtime series that just ended with Brian Cranston, Your Honor, which just wrapped up this last Sunday. It packs a huge wallop. And it's a long-term, it's basically an extended meditation on if you're a parent, what would you be willing to do to save your child? I'm not going to give anything away, but it is very, very, very powerful. Um, although, again, you might, you might not want to watch it right before you go to sleep. That's all I could say. Just yeah, well, enjoy, enjoy French Village. Um, I, will, I will take your recommendation. It's a feel-good story, Charlie. <laughs> This is JVL is the worst. He won't watch French Village, despite the fact that it is both a meditation on complicity and ultimately on accountability. Uh, and uh, it is a triumph of of just production and like long form storytelling. Um, but I have been I am done with it and it's left a massive void in my life. Uh, I, I watched Ted Lasso, which was good um, and which which certainly brought a smile to my face, but didn't have the same richness to it. And so if this if this Cranston series can do it, I would I, I'm, I'm looking for something new. Yeah. It, it, is it as good as Ozark? Is French Village as good as Ozark? Yeah. No, I mean, Ozark is great. I like <laughs> Ozark, but it's like yeah. not even in the same. Yeah. You know, French no, Village know, is better than all of these things. French Village is amazing. And I would like to say secret podcast listeners have been. Just uh, sending me tons of email about French Village. They all love it. No one has said I've steered them wrong yet. Okay. It looks amazing. It's just too many hours, Sarah. If you will take one of my children for the duration so that we each have three children in our houses, then I will hunker down and upon completing the French Village, I will then take possession of whichever one of my kids well, well, you that, have that, picked up as guardian of. This is the relevant question. What is, what is the commitment <laughs> of time? Okay. So how, how many episodes? How many seasons? So it is like, it's like... It's eight seasons, I think. It's like eighty episodes. Oh, yeah. Oh. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We did we did one episode a night after the kids were in bed over months, over months, which is why I it's I feel like I need to start it over. Like I'm ready you to speak do a podcast French now? with somebody. <laughs> how is your How is your French? I know how to it's, say it's, a few things in French, like okay. sad and devastated so su- and dead. But, so it's it's subtitled. You have to watch it. You have to like you know have eyes on it. You do. Okay. That's you that's can fair read. Enough. You'll be okay. Okay, I mean, I, I've said that you know I have, I have grandkids who live in a French village, so um, they are French. So this is the kind of thing that I I should I should watch and maybe maybe even pick up some French. So I will I will try that. JVL Sarah Longwell, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. Appreciate it very very much. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.